Tonight, we have a special guest and Sludgepreneur podcast first. Yes, tonight we are going to be talking with our first male guest, Jackson Milan, also known as the Wealth Mentor, is an Australian finance guru, and he's joining us tonight to share some strategies and tips about financial security. Welcome back to the Sletchepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Anna D, aka The Professional Goddess, here to empower women to build their own empire and interview sluts who like to make money. On my podcast, I give you a peek inside my life as a girl boss, mentor, retired cam girl, viral TikToker, and now 1% OnlyFans creator. I share my ups and downs of running a multi-million dollar business and the difficult yet sexy path to success. So, my dear sludgepreneurs and my boss bitches in training, grab your notebooks, put on your crown, and if you're a new listener, it's an honor to have you here. Get ready to take a peek inside my pleasure chest. Hello, my children. It's good to see you again. I'm so happy you're here. Today, we're speaking to a gentleman. Aside from my partner, I I believe this is the first male figure in finance that we'll have the pleasure of speaking with today. After recording this episode, I definitely felt out of my wheelhouse <laughs> with what I know, but I'm not a CFO. I'm an accountant. My job isn't about finances. Honestly, I hoarded all my money as a business owner. If I was spending, it was going back in the business. You know, there were a few nice things here and there, but usually I thrift them <laughs> and all my designer is probably fake. Anyways, this guy kind of blew my mind and I really just thought it was a great episode to listen to because it applies to everyone in a different way. But yes, I also was distracted by the lovely accent. We love an Australian accent. We love any accent. I just think language is a beautiful thing. Another thing I realized in this episode that sex work is actually legal in Australia. Since 1992, they have something called Anna's Law, ironically, where sex workers are required to register with the Office of Regulatory Services. And owners of brothels and escort agencies are also required to register. So huge kudos for our guest being a sex work supporter and not being afraid of giving advice to sex workers because their work applies just as well as every entrepreneur's does. I also noted his curiosity as to why so many financial officers deny helping women in the adult industry. So again, I applaud his openness and wanting to share some free knowledge on the show today. Also want to note the day of recording is Equal Pay Day in Australia, which is a day that helps raise awareness of the barriers women face in the workplace. According to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, a government agency that promotes gender equality in the workplace, men who work full-time earn 14.2% more on average than women in 2021 which is a 0.8% rise over the last six months, which equates to 261 Australian dollars per week. Based on this, women on average have to work 61 extra days from the end of the previous financial year to earn the same annual pay as men. Mary Woolridge, director of WGEA, says one way we can make change is through gender pay audits. Check out the WGEA webpage to learn more about gender equality and ways we can help make a change. 
claps for the equal pay day in Australia and raising awareness for fucking equal pay. Just wanna, just another fight. We have to keep fighting for y'all. It never ends. So now it's time for the ask, 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 ask Anna segment. If you'd like to ask me anything, shoot me an email at sludgepreneur at mail.com. It's always in the show notes. Today's lovely question is from Daisy Navarro. She asks, is the G-Wagon all you've imagined? Many of you who are my TikTok followers know that I have a Mercedes G550. It is my second one. Her name is Winona. And I have a little secret to share. Well, not a secret now, but I traded in the G for a Porsche. Yes, I did. I've been wanting a new car since my G-Wagon decided not to drive straight. And even though the alignment says it is, it is not. The dealership literally had to manually adjust my alignment a little to the right so it will go straight. And it's something that happens in every 50 vehicles made per year. It is the older model, so the interior is low-key (laughs) poo-poo. There's one cup holder. There's no USB port. There's no touchscreen, no CarPlay. What else is la poo-poo about it? My dogs had continuously thrown up on the white leather, so there was that. Great, safe vehicle. It's like an army tank. Very top-heavy. Just very rough ride, not comfortable. And I, oh, this was the this was the killer. I had three nails in my tire, like within two months. So with my mold divide around, I said, "Huh, guess it's time. Guess it's time." I feel I feel guilty for trading in my car so much, but one thing I've always told myself: if I'm gonna be self-made. If I'm going to risk every motherfucking thing, I just want to feel good driving to work. I just want to feel good when I leave the house since, gosh, in those days, y'all know I was working sun up, sun down in the house. And sometimes the only self-care I got at the time when I wasn't doing anything was, you know, driving to the grocery store, driving to a thrift shop. And it just felt really rewarding for me to have that experience. I really love driving. I love listening to music and podcasts and yeah, so the G-Wagon was great for the time being. It's it's just a staple in the industry of a it's a success symbol. It's a sexy car and it was just time. I had I had fun with it. The new one came out and it just blew the old one out of the water and one of my neighboring warehouses in my industrial park, she came over to greet me and she was in a Porsche SUV. Porsche Porsche mama tomato tomato. And I was like, oh, she looked good in that. So a few weeks ago, I went to the Porsche dealership and oh my God, they had a mm, a bright blue, like candy blue, just tropical as fuck. It was a Cayenne, which is their larger SUV. And it was just sitting in the front and I was like, <laughs> I knew it. I, I just have this problem when I know I fucking. So I asked the dealer, I was like, I'm, I want that one. Yep, that's the one. And he was like, oh, it's sold. I was like, oh, of course it did. So that day, since it, we didn't have an appointment, we didn't test drive anything. But I looked at the Macans, their little smaller SUV. They fit me a little bit better. But I hopped inside one. Tech was great. It was luscious. It was delicious. And a lot more affordable than my wagon. And I'll be honest, the wagon I had, I bought used. It had one owner. 20, 30,000 miles, something like that. 
It was in the $80,000 range. I can't fucking remember. Car payment. Why don't I know this? It was like upwards to 1000 a month. And the Porsches, Porsche, I, can't, I don't know which way to say it now. Brand new, we were looking at options in the forty to $60,000 range. So that was already like $30,000 less than my current car. So I was like, okay, this is kind of like an upgrade. And I kept searching for this Miami blue color. It was the color they made. I kept searching for it. And I realized, okay, it's a little harder to find these than I thought. And then one day I was looking, literally found one in Miami. And within a week, they shipped that bad little bitch up to me. And now she's mine. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do cow print interior. And that's going to be a little blue moo. Okay, that's what's going to happen. And by the time this episode is live, the full Blue Moo tour is going to be on my YouTube channel. So go watch it if you want to get all up in her. So thanks, Daisy. The G-Wagon wasn't all I imagined, but it was when I got it. But not anymore. You know, it's the circle of motherfucking life. Now it's time for the fetish of the week. I want to eat that pussy. Acoustic philia. Let's see if I pronounced it correctly. Acoustic philia. Acousticophilia. 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 Okay, what the fuck does that mean? Acousticophilia is defined as being sexually aroused by an, an auditory stimulus, including music, songs, poetry, verbal abuse, speaking in a particular foreign language, screaming, panting, moaning, groaning. <laughs> that was not a groan. Groaning and heavy breathing. The key to defining it as acousticophilia appears to be that the stimulus itself is not necessarily sexualized. So interesting being aroused by certain sounds, particularly language sounds, maybe ASMR falls in that category. I got some ASMR burping videos that are on my minivids.com account. I'm making me about $20 a day from that. (laughs) And I'm very proud of it too. Slutchpreneurs in the news. Let's talk about some political fuckery. That's going to be the abortion bill in Texas. I'm sorry. If you are, if you're from Texas listening, I feel so awful for you. I, I feel terrible to have to endure this situation. And on the bright side, I'm happy I don't live in Texas. No shade to Texas, but hella shade to Texas, okay? The New York Times says, after silence from Supreme Court, Texas clinics confront near total abortion ban. This is just a huge loss for human rights in general and women having control of their bodies and just another win for uh, these little anti-abortion groups of people who just want to worry about everyone else except themselves. But when it happens to them or their mistress, they're like making the appointment. So September 1st, 2021 in Houston, a Texas law prohibiting most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy went into effect on Wednesday after the Supreme Court did not act on a request to block it, ushering in the most restrictive abortion measure in the nation and prompting clinics in the state to turn away women seeking the procedure. The justices may still rule on the request, which is an early step in what is expected to be an extended legal battle. 
In the meantime, though, access to abortion in Texas has become extremely limited. The latest example of a Republican-led state imposing new constraints on ending pregnancies. The law, known as Senate Bill 8, amounts to a nearly complete ban on abortion in Texas because 85 to 90 percent of procedures in the state happen after the sixth week of pregnancy, according to lawyers for several clinics. On Tuesday night, clinics were scrambling to see patients until the minute the law went into effect. Holy shit. With six-hour waits for procedures in some places. By Wednesday, the patient list had shrunk, clinic workers said in interviews. The developments were a victory for the anti-abortion movement, which has found success in recent years. Many who oppose abortion said they were cautiously optimistic that the Supreme Court might allow the law to stand for now and were awaiting word from Justice Samuel A. Alito Jr., who oversees the federal appeals court decision. Quote, we're not fully celebrating until we officially hear from Alito, said John Siego, legislative director for Texas Right to Life, the largest anti-abortion organization in the state. The motion is still pending. He has to do something with it. He can't just ignore it. He added, but in the meantime, it seems like the industry is going to comply. And that's definitely a victory for us. <laughs> victory to have power over women and kind. The Texas law is the latest battle over abortion rights in the United States, a legal fight that began in 1973 with the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision that established a constitutional right to the procedure. But in recent years, anti-abortion advocates have found success through laws and state legislators in a broad swath of the South and the Midwest now having limited access to abortions. Texas has about 24 abortion clinics, down from roughly 40 before 2013, when the state legislator imposed a previous round of restrictions. It was not immediately clear on Wednesday if every one of them was complying with the law, which the Republican governor signed in May, but many in interviews said they were. In the emergency application they wrote urging the justices to intervene, abortion providers in the state said the new law would immediately and catastrophically reduce abortion access in Texas. And most likely force many abortion clinics ultimately to close. Supreme Court precedents prohibit states from banning abortion before fetal viability, the point at which fetuses can sustain life outside the womb or about 22 to 24 weeks in a pregnancy. The law in Texas says doctors cannot perform abortions if a heartbeat is detected, activity that starts around six weeks before many women are even aware they're pregnant. Many states have passed such bans, but the law in Texas is different. It was drafted to make it difficult to challenge in court. This is where it gets tricky and sticky. Usually, a lawsuit seeking to block a law because it is unconstitutional would name state officials as defendants. However, the Texas law, which makes no exceptions for pregnancies resulting from incest or rape, bars state officials from enforcing it and instead deputizes private individuals to sue anyone who performs the procedure or aids and abets it. The patient may not be sued, but doctors, staff members at clinics, counselors, people who help pay for the abortion, and even an Uber driver taking a patient to an abortion clinic are all potential defendants. Oh, no, you can't be serious. That is some bullshit right there. Plaintiffs who do not need to live in Texas have any connection to the abortion or show any injury from it are entitled to $10,000 and their legal fees covered if they win. Prevailing defendants are not entitled to legal fees. So... If your daddy finds out that you and that Mary helped you get an abortion, he can fight Mary in court and get his legal fees covered, but you and Mary can't. How fair. So fair. 
And they don't even have to live in Texas, the people attacking the women over their bodies that they have no business doing. That novel formulation has sent clinics scrambling. Dr. Jessica Rubino, a doctor at Austin Women's Health Center, a small independent clinic in the state capitol, said that at first she wanted to defy what appeared to be an unconstitutional law, but she said she concluded that doing so would put her staff at risk. If this was a criminal ban, we know what this is and what we can and cannot do, Dr. Rubino said, but this ban has civil implications. It requires a lawyer to go to court. It requires lawyer's fees and then $10,000 if we don't win. What happens if everybody is sued, not just me? She added, my staff is nervous. They've been asking, what about our families? What about our jobs? Dr. Rubino said her clinic had struggled so much to come up with any plan to take care of anyone under the new law and on Wednesday was sorting out what the new policies would be. For example, she wondered, if someone knows they are more than six or seven weeks pregnant, roughly the new legal limit, should the clinic advise them to go out of state and not waste money on an ultrasound? Doctors who are sued, even if the suit is dismissed, have to report the lawsuits when they renew licenses or obtain hospital admitting privileges, according to Amy Hagstrom-Miller, the chief executive at Whole Women's Health, which operates four clinics in Texas. As the law came into force, Democrats assailed it and pledged to fight to retain abortion rights in Texas and nationwide. In a statement, President Biden said the measure blatantly violates the constitutional right to abortion established by Roe v. Wade. All I got to say is, girls, get your birth control. And y'all all know what's going to happen. It happens time after time. If you can't get your abortions, people start going out of the state, doing illegal abortions, raising the risk of death during abortion, and all sorts of medical issues that are just completely unnecessary. I do know that abortions help foster population control. People who have unwanted children either end up in broken homes, have tougher lives, and are more so in poverty areas. There are so many children in foster programs. Here's the thing. These groups want us to have the babies, but they don't care about what happens to the babies after they're born. They can have a horrible upbringing in a broken family that didn't want them in the first place, or they're pushed off into foster programs, which is even more heartbreaking. And there's no funding for these foster programs. I have friends who've been adopted, and it is unreal what they went through and the childhood, the type of it, what they missed out on, and are still dealing with these issues today. It's incredibly frustrating, this topic, and it's just very unfortunate. If these people really want all these babies, why don't they go adopt a baby that needs a family, you know? And like the whole thing about not being able to have that abortion, like if your brother rapes you or your dad, like what the fuck? What the biggity fuck, 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 fuck? Ugh. That was a downer. My God. Anyways, time to get your notepads out. Let's talk finances. <laughs> Dear God. No, I'm excited. So give a warm welcome to Mr. Jackson Milan. Jackson, welcome to the show. And it's an honor to have you here. Thanks for having me. I uh, wasn't, I didn't know that I was going to be the first male. So I'm very privileged and I'm very happy that you've uh, given me a shot. So uh, the, uh, there's some big expectations. <laughs> yes. I'm interested to see how the audience responds. I think we are going to learn so much from you today. I feel like as 
particularly in the sex work community, it's really difficult to manage your finances. So yes. I'm I'm very curious to kind of get to basically if you have any experience behind that. But first, I'd love for you to just give a little bit of background, like who the fuck is Jackson Milan? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Jackson Milan. I'm also known as the Wealth Mentor. And I've been in the, the wealth and business strategy space for over 15 years now. And I got involved in this space not because I wanted to be your typical finance guy. If anybody looks at me, I, I look at a, a hybrid between a hipster and a hobo. And I, I got involved in this space because of my parents. My parents were business owners. My mum uh, was a hairdresser. She tried to uh, very hard to create a successful salon. And my old man was a bit of a dreamer. He tried his hand at everything that you could possibly imagine and never really stuck to anything long enough to be successful. But the common theme through my childhood is that they worked 16-hour days for as long as I could possibly remember. And they always said to me, Jackson, if you want to be successful in this world, you've got to work hard for it. And mm-hmm. I, I remember as a kid just realizing that there must have been something wrong like it, because it just didn't make sense. They were working so hard, but they never really had a whole lot of money. And what I come to realize is that they were working for money as opposed to money working for them. And I found that through, mm-hmm. as I became an adult and as I got more involved in this space, that's the story for the vast majority of people. They are good at what they do. They have the ability to make money, but they just don't seem to have the ability to hold on to it. Uh, and before they know it, that money slipped through their fingers and they haven't made it work for them. And then ultimately they have to work because they have to, not because they want to. And the idea of financial freedom is more of a dream than a goal. So I've spent the last 15 years helping over a thousand private clients build over 1.5 billion in combined wealth. And now it's, it's my wow. life's mission to help empower people to learn the language of money and be able to use that mm-hmm. to create financial freedom. And I'm really passionate about the the sex work space because I've had a lot of clients reach out to me over the years, firstly, asking for permission to see if I would even work with them in the first place, Mm -hmm. which I found really weird. Like, I'm just like, why (laughs) why wouldn't I work with you? Like, you've got money, you need help. It just makes makes sense. And also Mm -hmm. keep in mind in Australia, sex work has been decriminalized. So it's not even illegal. And then the second thing is that the sex workers can make a tremendous amount of money, but a lot of it is kind of hand to mouth. They don't know what to do with it. And for that reason, they end up finding themselves in situations where maybe they don't have the opportunities to, to live the lifestyle and do the things that they want because they haven't set their investments and their wealth up in the right way. So here we are. That was beautifully well said. <laughs> so many things came to mind when you said like how it's hard to make money work for you when you're so focused on chasing that money. And I think we're driven in this like social media world where people are flaunting all these things that may not even be theirs and just these moments at these places they're not enjoying. And it's just so easy to get upset when you want to have a lot of money and see all these people online having it. And then just this chase that just seems like forever going, if that makes sense. And then when you get there, like, I feel like you and I have both reached a certain levels of success. What I related most was how you said now you just train other people and help other people. Basically, that money doesn't equal happiness, that you get it. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's not as fulfilling as you think. So it's this lifelong chase, you're working hard, you're trying to get there, and then you get there. And then you're just like, okay, now I want to help other people. 100%. Yeah. And I think you nailed it. I think this, there's this, this pressure to keep up with the Joneses, right? Um, yeah. And I guess I, I fell into this trap myself where I, I was making good money, but I felt like I had to appear like I was making good money. And you, drive, you end up mm-hmm. driving the AMG Mercedes and you end up um, living in the, the kind of the, the penthouse apartment and all of these things. And 
it's it's not the money that you make that counts, it's the money that you keep. And this was a critical turning point for me where I go, wow, okay, well, what actually makes me happy? And more importantly, how can I have my cake and eat it too? Because the, the fundamental issue here is that for most people, they end up making financial decisions out of scarcity because we've exactly. all been taught to shrink ourselves wealthy, right? Like our parents mm-hmm. said to us, hey, put money away for a rainy day or hey, make sure that you save because you never know what's going to be around the corner. Or like what most of our parents have done, they've worked 30, 40 years, scrawled away every last red cent into their 401k or their IRA or whatever the smart thing is to do with their money. And then they retire at 65 and then kind of sit at home mm-hmm. watching daytime telly, going on cruises and and doing what, what old people do, right? <laughs> well, that's, that's frustrating because I told my accountant too, I'm tired of saving all this fucking money in retirement. Like if I want to enjoy my life now, off first glance, do you feel that way? Like you need to dump a bunch in retirement? retirement or is there a way to kind of have your cake and eat it too? Yeah. And this is the important point. For so long, I wasn't motivated by this whole idea of this kind of 40-20 trap where you work 40 years and then you enjoy 20 if you're lucky. I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. And my motto has always been live for today and plan for tomorrow. And this whole kind of shrink yourself wealthy bullshit is all built on this premise that we don't have enough financial means to do everything we want. And the analogy that I like to use is that think about your goals as like one-dimensional planning. Most people are working towards one significant goal at a time. So it's like, hey, I want to buy my house or I want to Mm -hmm. buy a new car. I want to go on a holiday to the Bahamas. And they're like a horse with their blinders on. That We're focusing on this one thing, but then something else inevitably comes up that's conflicting. And then we go, Mm -hmm. oh, shit. How am I going to be able to do all of this? Because I've been planning towards this one thing. So now I need to make a scarcity-based decision. And all that tells us is that we just haven't planned well enough to be able to account for everything that we want. So I developed an exercise, and I wrote about this in my first book, called Mm -hmm. the 20-Year Roadmap. And it sounds a bit scary, but it's once you get into the habit of doing it, it's it's absolutely life-changing because it was for me. I went from a position of blowing all of my money and and not practicing what I preached and, and living this great lifestyle to then actually being able to amass millions of dollars in wealth, being able to build a $5 million business and, and being able to, to ha- basically have an amazing lifestyle where currently I'm actually spending a year traveling around Australia in a four-wheel drive. That's what I heard. It, it was hard to get into you. I was like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> that, that's it. And what this comes down to is that we need to think about all of our goals, both lifestyle and financial. So the holidays, the experiences, the cars we want to drive, the, the hobbies that we want to pursue – All of these things are our lifestyle goals that add quality to our life. But then we also want to map out all of our financial goals as well. So the house you want, when you want to be debt-free, paying off your student loans, creating passive income, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And if we can map out all of it, that becomes a three-dimensional plan because we've, we've considered everything we want. And not only that, we've now done this over one, five, 10, 15, and 20 years. And what that now allows us to do is we can reverse engineer this backwards and I can set you an income target. So I can say, Anna, this is exactly how much income you need to earn this year. This is how much you need to put into your investments for you to be able to achieve absolutely everything that you want. So if I can link your goals and objectives and dreams and aspirations to the activity that you do in your life and your business, you're going to be far more motivated to do the work. So why isn't, obviously this stuff isn't taught in school and you made it seem very simple. So why isn't this information attainable and why is it, it's just so overwhelming, you know, you're talking about investment and -and so-and-so and I'm imagining a stripper at the strip club making 
$300 and instead of saving 200 and spending 100 she's spending all 300 Correct, yeah. And this is the common trap, right? And look, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but the the issue is that the, the financial services industry globally, it's the same mm-hmm. in Australia, in the UK, in the US, it doesn't matter where you are, the financial services industry thrives on you relying on it. And I experienced mm-hmm. this when I first started training to be a financial advisor at 19. I wanted to be a financial advisor to help people like my parents. And I went into this environment where it was a hardcore sales culture of people selling commission-based products to people like my parents, people like your listeners who actually didn't need them. And the industry is built on you relying on financial advisors and fiduciaries and money managers that say, hey, Anna, just give me your money and I'm going to manage it for you and I'm going to charge you a fee every year of probably 1% or 2% and I'll send you a report every 6 to 12 months and let you know how it's going. That's not teaching people real life skills. Mm -hmm. So there's this tremendous conflict of interest. And what I did is because I hated what the industry stood for, I said, hey, I'm not going to call myself a financial advisor. I'm going to bin that term and I'm going to call myself a wealth coach. And I'm going to create a framework that allows me to teach everyday people the fundamentals of money management so they can actually do it for themselves. And the narrative that we're all sold is that finance is hard. That's bullshit. There's nothing further from the truth. Finance, when you follow a really simple system, is really straightforward and in actual fact should probably only take you about 30 minutes a month to manage your finances. But it requires you to have the right tools, the right frameworks in place, and there's a little bit of work involved. But once you've got those structures in place, it's like night and day. It'll change your life. I love what you're saying. And as a beginner, sometimes we don't even know where to start as far as credit cards. Like just that topic alone, what would you suggest for a newbie and also someone such as a sex worker who might even get denied a loan because of her work or doesn't have credibility on paper because of her line of work? Yep, completely understand. So the first thing is credit cards are a no-no. The best thing that you will ever do is phase credit cards completely out of your life. The first thing is that we've got to understand that most people use credit cards for one of two reasons. One, because they want to have better control over their cash flow. They want to be able to tap their card at the checkout and not have to worry whether it's going to go through or not. And the second thing is that they want to get the points. Now, the first one is that if we implement a right cash flow structure, that shouldn't be an issue. You shouldn't have to worry about tapping your card and there being money there, which I'll talk about shortly. But the bigger problem is the points. And what we've got to realize is that financial institutions aren't charities. They're smart. They know that if they give you 1% to 3% of what you spend in terms of rewards points, they're banking on you paying 20% in interest because you can't clear your credit card bill at the end of the month. But let's just assume that you're really good with your credit card and you get it, you're working up the points and you pay off your credit card monthly. We've actually surveyed over 1,000 clients and looked at people who use credit cards compared to people who don't. And people who use credit cards spend on average 15% more than people who use their own cash. So what that actually means is that after the rewards points have been considered, even in the best case scenario, you are still 12% worse off as a result of using a credit card than you are using your own money. So what's a scenario where a credit card does work in your favor? Zero circumstances. (laughs) Because I think why most people get it is because they've been told that they need to build up their credit. And if if you ever want to be able to get a mortgage, you need to have a credit rating. And here's the thing, Mm -hmm. like your credit rating is building by you just being a good, good citizen, right? If you've got a phone bill, you pay your phone bill on time. If you're renting, you pay your rent on time. All of these things are already building your credit. So you actually Mm -hmm. don't need a credit card. 
And in my book, Enjoy the Journey, Creating Wealth and Living the Life That You Desire, in Chapter 5, I talk about a really simple cash flow structure that allows Mm -hmm. you to completely phase out credit cards, to have complete peace of mind and certainty around how you manage your money, and also maximize your surplus so we can have money left over to invest. And, And it's a really simple structure. I've been using it for years, and it allows me to basically set my money on autopilot. I don't have to worry about transferring money or whether I've got enough for bills. Basically, all of my money is accounted for, everything's automatically allocated. And essentially, uh, I just have to live my life and everything takes care of itself. Just like that plan you were talking about, knowing what number you need to hit to take care of all those things you desire. Did you know that five-star reviews help boost our podcast on the charts for all the sluts to see? If you send me a screenshot of your five-star review, you will get a free shout-out on Instagram or Twitter from yours truly. Again, just send a screenshot of your five-star review for the Slutpreneur podcast. Send me that screenshot on my Instagram or Twitter, and I will shout out your account for free. That's free promotion to my thousands of followers and the best way you can support the show. Thanks, sluts. So investing, having your money, make more money. Let's talk what maybe what you're doing right now versus good choices you made when you first started. Definitely. Once again, investing is really simple. And I see people overcomplicating it because they, they model the people who are, they see in the media, like the big name entrepreneurs like your Gary V's and your, your Grant Cardone's and these people are doing sexy and sophisticated stuff. And the reality is you can do sexy and sophisticated stuff when you're a multimillionaire or a billionaire, but when you're just a, a mere mortal like us folks, you just <laughs> need to keep it simple. So mm-hmm. the reality is there are only three ways to predictably make money in this world. One is business. Have your own business and use that business to create profit and hopefully create a saleable asset that you can sell one day and make big bucks. Not everyone wants to be a business owner. It's not for everyone. So the Mm. other two ways is property. We want to buy really good quality property. So these are properties that are in desirable areas where affluent people want to live who are going to pay their rent on time, not punch holes in the wall that are going to take care of your property. So the aim is to buy as much good quality property as you possibly can. And the third way is the share market. And this is not about stock picking. Like we shouldn't say, hey, should I buy Google today or Tesla or uh, GM or whatever it is. We can invest in the stock market in a really simple and straightforward way using an index fund. Now, have you heard of an index fund before? Hell no. (laughs) I'll give you guys a crash course. One quick question. Sure, please. I wanted to ask your opinion on cryptocurrency, but currently on my Snapchat app, you can actually buy Bitcoin with the funds you have in the app. And I like, I don't even know anything about Bitcoin, but I was like, you know, why not a hundred bucks here and there, see what happens. And I think I put in just $300 and then a week later it was like, you can sell it for 400 and I just... I made $100 very quickly, and I still don't understand what happened. I can help you with that, 100%. (laughs) Let's talk about index investing, because the reason why these these three things are important is because we need to to create a foundation in our wealth first, because I see a lot of people speculating, right? They're getting into crypto, or they're doing options trading, or they're doing these really advanced strategies that are hugely risky. And sure, we can do that. It can help us, and there's, there's ways for us to make big bucks, but there's also ways for us to lose a lot of money. So we want to make sure that we've got the fundamentals sorted first. So an index fund is basically a, an investment that gives us access to an entire stock market 
and we get the average of how all of those companies perform. So for example, the S&P 500 is the top 500 companies in the US. We can go and buy an index fund that gives us access and exposure to all of those 500 companies. Some are going to do amazing. Some are going to do pretty shit. Some are going to do average. And you would just get the average of that performance. So you can go to a provider like Vanguard. You can go set up an account with BlackRock. These are index fund providers. And you can go and invest in an index fund and it will give you the average performance of the market. And it's really, really simple, really, really straightforward. Um, and essentially, it doesn't mean that you have to stock pick. Spring is in the air, lovelies. And with it comes a fresh wave of energy, blossoming flowers, and endless possibilities. But you know what puts an extra skip in my step? My fabulous partners at Viahemp. Trusted by a whopping 250,000 plus goddesses just like you, Viahemp's products are just like a magical wellness wand in a bottle. Feeling a bit frazzled after a hectic day? Cue the Via gummies for instant relaxation. Battling stress and anxiety? Don't worry, there's a gummy for that too. And for those intimate moments, Via has concocted something truly special. High Love Gummies, infused with pleasure-boosting cannabinoids, libido-reviving herbs, and just the right touch of THC, these gummies are your ticket to an electrifying experience between the sheets. But wait, there's more. Via offers an array of other gummies, with or without THC, catering to every goddess's needs. Whether you prefer a subtle 2mg dose or a bolder 50mg kick, Via has your back. From improving sleep to sharpening focus or aiding in recovery, there's a gummy for every occasion. And the cherry on top? You can easily browse and shop their collection online, categorized by strength and effect. And here's the best part, darling. Via ships discreetly to all 50 states, right to your doorstep. No medical card needed. So go ahead, indulge in a little self-care spree with Via Hemp because you deserve nothing but the best goddess. Head over to viahemp.com and use code goddess to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies 21 and up only that's viahemp v-i-i-a-h-e-m-p.com and use code goddess at checkout please support our show and tell them we sent you take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from viahemp now back to the show does Robinhood have an index fund? Yeah, so in Robinhood, you would buy an index fund using a tool called an exchange-traded fund. Now, we get a little bit complicated, but in essence, bah. an exchange-traded fund is a essentially a publicly traded version of an index fund. So the only difference and the thing with Robinhood is that you can't automate your investments meaning that you have to manually go in every time, every month or every couple of weeks, put money in and then invest it. The thing that I teach my clients is about creating repeatable systems. So mm-hmm. we typically want to set up an account that allows us to invest automatically every month. So the default action is action. So set up a, d- a direct debit. I'm going to start okay. with $500 a month into my portfolio. And then in a month's time, we go, cool, right, this is working really well. How about I increase that to a thousand bucks a month? And then over time, we can rinse and repeat that. The biggest risk here, Anna, is that for most people, they get started with set up a Robinhood account and they put a thousand bucks in or whatever it might be. And then they completely forget and then don't do anything else for another six months. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) 
<laughs> what are the websites you suggested? I'm actually going to jot these down myself. Yep. So first one is you can go to Vanguard. Vanguard is the, they actually invented index investing, invented by a guy called Jack Bogle in the 70s. And essentially, Vanguard is probably the most well-known name in terms of index investing. You can go set up a personal account with them, or mm-hmm. if you're interested in more tax-effective long-term, you can set up an IRA as well. Just make sure you do your research. And yes. that allows you to go and set up a, a diversified portfolio. So there are what's called target date funds that allow you to say, hey, I want to invest for, for the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. And then they will basically choose the investments for you. Your beautiful accent. Is it Vanguard? Because you said Vanguard. Vanguard. Yep. Vanguard. Uh, <laughs> yep. Vanguard. That's it. Um, so V-A-N-G-U-A-R-D. Another one which is more tech driven is called Acorns. It's one that okay. I use myself. It's an app that you can get on your phone. And the great thing about it is what it actually allows you to do is to roll up your transactions. So every time we spend, let's say you go buy a coffee for $3.50, it will take the 50 cents and round it up to $4 and invest that 50 cents into index funds for you. I love that. I'm actually going to download Acorns right now just to see like how user friendly it is for someone who has no idea what's happening. It's really user friendly. So have a bit of a play around with it. And um, there's things like this that you can set up that are really, really simple, really straightforward. And you can also set up automatic monthly direct debits um, to invest into that platform as well. So once again, do your research into these things, get started. And the great thing about it is you can get started really small, even if it's $100. Because once you start getting some money in the market, you're going to get excited about it. And then we can ramp it up over time. So one thing that's really prominent right now is digital content. And for me, I sell, you know, I'm in a retail business, I'm selling products, but I'm also selling digital content. And what's really nice with digital content is you're making money while you sleep and you create this one product and it can continue to sell as much as it does. So we were kind of discussing about starting a business for some folks. And I wanted to know your thoughts. I mean, especially with OnlyFans, you know, you're selling photos and videos, et cetera, that can resell itself. But that's just one of the eggs that I've thrown in baskets that's helping. So as far as a business goes, do you think like digital content is the way to go or actually opening like a brick and mortar? I think digital content is definitely the easiest way to get started in business. We're in a movement where we're going to see tremendous growth in the information business space over the next decade. And I really mm-hmm. think that we're still at, we're still in the early stages of growth in that space. And what we're seeing is that because there is so much information out there, there is so much content, people want to pay for curated content specific Mm -hmm. content that either solves a specific problem or appeals to a specific want or desire. And this is the reason why OnlyFans has done so well. And obviously, I know there's some changes going on at the moment, but and this just, I guess, goes to show that you shouldn't rely on any one platform and diversification of your your income sources is critically important. Yes, 100%. I think starting an information business, whether it be uh, an OnlyFans uh, selling you content, uh, whether it be creating a membership model, whether it be launching some sort of coaching program. I know that there's there's many people out there who have experience, they've got life experience, they've navigated challenges, and people are happy to pay to get access to that information so they don't have to make the same mistakes and learn the hard way. So mm-hmm. really, it's this is the, the time to be creating a service business that's built around curated information, and it's a really great way to build your wealth. And I think just what you said, finding a problem to fix or a market that's not tapped into yet 
is really the the start of any business. And I get a lot of people saying, well, I want a store, but I don't know what to sell. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you can't really start until you know. And I think those two questions are great to ask for first-time entrepreneurs, especially in the online world. And I like what you said about kind of custom curated content. I recently had a friend start creating books through Canva. Canva Canva.com is free. You can basically turn anything into a beautiful looking Photoshopped image, whether it's text or photos, making business cards, banners, books, and so on. And then you can upload the PDF to Kindle or Amazon Books, whatever it is, and you can basically write a book in a few minutes, sell it. And these kids' picture books and kids' educational books – if you look at what's selling the most, they're like thousands to millions of copies. And, you know, even for someone who doesn't know where to start, you know, to me, I was like, that's a great opportunity for someone that's digital content, you don't have to hold any inventory. I don't know, it's just creative and easy and simple, especially if you're working those 16 hour days. I appreciate your thoughts on that. I I agree 100%. The key part here, right, is that if there's so many business opportunities out there, and I've fallen into the trap of just blindly pursuing business opportunities for for trying to make money. And business is tough. So you really need to find something that you're passionate about. Um, I've got a resource if you want some help unpacking who the best client avatar is for you to serve to find a kind of niche that you, you're going to be passionate about that has the ability to make you the money that you want. So mm-hmm. if you reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram, just search for Jackson Milan, the wealth mentor, um, and I'll give you a resource that'll help you unpack that and minimize the amount of options that are available so you can pursue the best oppo- business opportunity for you. Yep. And save time. Lovely. Yes. Okay. We're in a pandemic sort of kind of still over here. <laughs> and we were talking about investment properties. Now, From my understanding, if you were a landlord in the past one or two years, it got really tricky when people couldn't pay their rent. So is it higher risk in a sense to find a property that's in the city now or higher risk if you bought a property for an Airbnb and nobody's booking it anymore? How do you feel about that? Yeah. Even prior to the pandemic, I was never a big advocate for this whole Airbnb short-term let strategy because obviously it's highly reliant on tourism. And then even in the best of times outside of the pandemic, the tourism industry is cyclical. Um, And it's linked Mm -hmm. directly to the economy. And the economy goes through peaks and troughs, right? Like there's times where things are going fantastic. So tourism goes gangbusters because people have disposable income and they want to spend it, right? Do you say big gangbusters? Gangbusters. That means in Australia, that means going crazy. Oh, I love it. I'm sorry. I just am like infatuated with the accent. <laughs> no, no, Australian slang. Okay, got it. When it comes to buying property, in my experience, there are five fundamentals that we teach our clients that helps them find the properties that can be the least amount of risk. First fundamental is we need to have net migration. So we need to have more people moving to an area than are leaving. So we want places that are growing because fundamentally, property is about supply versus demand. We want to make Mm -hmm. sure that there is more demand than there is supply. So that pushes the prices of properties and rents up. The second thing we want is we want diverse ranges of employment. So we never want to be in an area that is reliant on a particular industry. Like in the US, there's many towns that are reliant on uh, on, on uh, resources or reliant on tourism or hospitality, right? And if those industries mm-hmm. get impacted, property prices in that area plummet. 
So we want to always be in areas that have diverse ranges of employment, which is the reason why metropolitan areas in your main big cities in the US, and this this applies globally, always mm-hmm. perform more consistently because there's more diverse ranges of employment. The third thing we want is we want to see that there's infrastructure spending. So we want to see that the government is improving roads and public transport and entertainment. We want to see cafes and, and, and other things popping up because those are the things that keep people living in a location. If you are just living somewhere because that's where you work and there's no uh, other amenities and things that make it a really nice place to live and raise a family and, and want to stay there, then people are going to leave eventually. The fourth thing is we want to understand future supply. So we don't want to be investing in an area where where they're going to be putting up thousands of, of apartments because that's going to flood the market with supply. And also, we don't want to be on the edges of cities where there's basically an abundance of what we call greenfill land, where builders can come and build hundreds of houses, right? Because once again, that's going to flood the market. We want to be in tightly held areas that are established. And if somebody's going to build, they've actually got to knock something down to build. And then the last thing we want to consider is affordability. This is not your affordability. This is the affordability of the people that live in that area. So are those people affluent? Are they employed? How much money are they earning? How much of their income are they spending on their mortgage? And you can get all of this information online. You just need to do a Google search. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking for is we're looking for areas where people have high levels of employment, vacancy rates are low. And all of these things are going to contribute to having a low-risk property that's going to perform over the long term. Wow. I'm <laughs> My brain is exploding a little bit. What about <laughs> buying land or like properties? Look, I think this is where we put this in the bucket of, of speculative, right? And this is where I'd also treat cryptocurrency is that when we're, we're buying land that doesn't have an income, it doesn't have a house on it, we need to either be able to afford to hold onto that land until a developer comes along or until we've got enough money to be able to put a property or multiple properties on it. So that's a high mm-hmm. risk strategy because you've got to Understood. rely on your other cash flow. And I guess I always try to, to focus on tried and true things, things that can be set and forget. Because from from our conversation, I don't know about, about you, but I don't want to spend every waking moment managing my money. I want to live my life and I want to go and experience the things that bring me joy. The last thing I want to do is to be putting out financial fires. And I think the vast majority of people are the same. So don't mm-hmm. play it. Don't be sexy when it comes to your finances. Be sexy in the bedroom, right? Be sexy in the other areas <laughs> of your life. The, your money should be boring. So uh, so keep it boring. Do the boring stuff that we know works. And if you want to have fun and have excitement, do it in, in your lifestyle. Gotcha. That makes a lot more sense, especially starting small. You don't want to do anything too drastic. What about these student loans that are happening? I know the pandemic is kind of putting everyone's world upside down, but me not going to college, I was really happy that was something I never had to pay back. But a lot of us do go to college and now we have student debt and we're trying to get a job and maybe build a family. And it's really stressful and it makes you, again, feel really financially insecure to have the weight of that, especially if your parents aren't helping you with it and you can't get financially independent. Definitely. What we need to understand is opportunity cost. And opportunity cost is understanding when we've got a dollar, where is that dollar best allocated? And let's give a simple example. Let's say we've got a student debt of $50,000 and we have a dollar that we can pay off that student debt. And I think most interest rates on student debt can be between six and 10%, sometimes more, sometimes less. And then we've got an opportunity to go and invest. And we can invest in, say, the share market, and get 10%. Mm -hmm. So would you prefer to make 6% 
or would you prefer to make 10%? Obviously 10. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, so basically that's the first thing. Okay, cool. There's an opportunity for me to make more money, so that makes sense. But what we've got to realize is that investing in the share market is uncertain. So we might get 10% one year. The next year, we might be negative five. The year after, we might be plus 20. So whenever we're investing, there's uncertainty because we don't have a crystal ball. However, every dollar we pay off our student debt, we are guaranteed to make a return of the amount of interest that student debt is charging us. So basically, every dollar I pay off that student debt, I'm actually making a guaranteed 6% return. So this comes down to your risk tolerance. We've got many clients who are very low risk. They say, hey, actually, I'm happy getting the 6% return. I'm going to focus on smashing my student debt as quickly as I possibly can and getting that off my chest and just basically get removing that burden. And then I'm going to focus on investing. And in another camp, we've got people who have a little bit higher tolerance to risk. They pay the minimum on their student debt, but then they focus on putting all of the rest of their money into property and shares and business because they know that that's going to provide them with a higher return over the long term, meaning they're going to be able to make more money to pay off their student debt faster. This is about understanding that opportunity cost and not making emotional financial decisions, making objective decisions based on the facts. Okay. Is there anything else you'd suggest besides the investing in the shares or the properties? What was the third one? The business? Is there anything else off the top of your head that you could go beyond those three with? Yeah, look, I think crypto is super trendy right now and, and lots of people are getting involved in it. I guess the big thing here is that we need to understand, and I'm not against crypto. I have some investments in cryptocurrency myself and they've performed mm-hmm. very well. But what we need to understand is that unlike property and shares, cryptocurrency right now, because it is still so new, has Mm -hmm. no intrinsic value. There's no way for us to work out, is it worth a dollar or is it worth a million dollars? So a lot of the returns that we're getting are purely driven by, by, by essentially FOMO, driven by people and the fear of Mm -hmm. missing out. And what you need to understand is that any money that you put into cryptocurrency needs to be money that you're prepared to lose. So if you've only got $1,000 in the bank, and you don't know how you're going to pay rent next month, and you've got other commitments and responsibilities, don't put that money into cryptocurrency. Exactly. If you've got a good emergency fund, you can meet your commitments. If you've set up things like a Vanguard or an Acorns account, and you are putting some money into your foundation strategy, and hey, you've got an extra couple hundred bucks that you're happy to put into some cryptocurrency to see how it goes, it's perfectly fine. Okay. I like what you said, how we don't really know how much it's worth and you need to be prepared to lose it all. So I think those are two really great points for anyone who has no idea about it. And another thing that I found myself struggling with organizing my finances with in in the beginning and still do is the software to help me budget. Do you have like a go-to like QuickBooks or you just do it all yourself? What would you suggest that's affordable to help with budgeting and organizing all your expenses and income? Yeah, there's some really good budgeting apps in the US that you can mm-hmm. uh, that you can use. So Acorns has a very high level budgeting tool where because it gets data feeds from all of your bank accounts and it allows you to just get a little bit of an idea. There mm-hmm. are some specific budgeting apps. One's called Pocket Guard. Um, and it's quite simple. It's a pretty straightforward budgeting tool. The Probably the most well-known one is called Mint, as in kind of toothpaste, Mint. Mm-hmm. And there is one that's very specific and very details-oriented called YNAB. You need a budget. Um, that, is, that does cost you money if you want to get the data feeds. My understanding is Pocket Guard and Mint are free. What I'd advocate you do is go into the app store or do a Google search for personal budgeting apps, 
US uh, or where, wherever you are in the world, to have a bit of a play, most of these tools will have a free trial and find the one that is going to help you. In my experience, and I talk about this in my book, if you've got the right cash flow structure in place, that is 70% of the battle. So having your right account structure, which uh, I'll give you all of your listeners a free copy of my book, they'll be able to get access to it. If you set up that structure, 70% mm-hmm. of the job is going to be done. Then having the right oversight, so a software system like these ones that I've mentioned is going to be 20%, and then your behavior is 10%. So 70%, 20%, 10%. If you don't have the structure, your behavior now becomes 80% of the battle. And the software solution is only going to be a way for you to be able to see how good your habits are or how bad they are. So the structure is more important than the software. That makes sense as well. I feel like I need to start over again. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. What was your biggest mistake when you started all this? Did you have something really high risk that didn't work out? Did you ever feel like you just fell flat on your face trying something new? Yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes, to be honest. And I think it's allowed me to advise my clients and coach my clients from a position of, of understanding where they're most likely to trip up because it's difficult out there. It really is. There's a lot of conflicting information. There's a lot of pressure to get it right. And I think a lot of people end up taking far too much risk. So the biggest mistakes that I made was firstly, I took too much risk. I was trying to get rich quick mm-hmm. and you don't need to get rich quick. You need to get rich smart and because the number one rule of investing is don't lose money. And the, the second rule of investing is don't forget rule number one. Because if you cannot lose money and you just have a really simple and straightforward strategy that you can run for the rest of your working life, you're going to be fine. Um, And I can give your listeners some really simple tools to let them know exactly how they're tracking and what they need to do to get where they need to go. The second thing is feeling like I had to, to invest a lot of money. And for that reason, I just said, ah, it's too hard. I'll deal with that later. And what's really important here is creating what we call money muscle memory. It's about starting small and then compounding those behaviors and habits over time. So even if you start mm-hmm. investing with $50 a month, and yeah, that's not going to get you to financial freedom, but it's getting you closer. And I guarantee you, you start with 50 bucks a month, then in a month's time, put it to 100, then put it to 200. And we just continue to incrementally increase that behavior and habit over time. And it's going to get you far, far further than trying to go and implement a $1,000 a month or $5,000 a month investment strategy from day one. It's just not going to happen. I love that you're passing on what you've learned because mistakes are obviously just learning lessons in in disguise. And I think that's really important because we do get really scared. And if something doesn't work out the first time, it doesn't mean it won't work out the next time. And eventually, after you make those mistakes, it could lead you right to a a big win. And I I think the, the last lesson here, honestly, is talk about your money openly and honestly. Like mm-hmm. most people just don't talk about this stuff because it's taboo. You don't talk about it with your family. Most people don't even talk about it with their significant other. And you need to own your failures with money. Otherwise, they have power over you. If you read my book, I talk extremely openly and honestly about my money experience, how I nearly went bankrupt, uh, all of these things and mistakes that I've made. And for a really long time, I was really embarrassed about those things. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I actually started speaking openly about them that, that I was able to remove the power that they had over me. And don't be embarrassed. Like we're all running our own race. I've had clients come to me in their late 40s and 50s, in some cases older, and we've been able to get them on track for financial freedom. It's never too late. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time mm-hmm. is today. So let's get started. Yes, I and I feel that way too. I get really feeling financially insecure and 
I have to remind myself that I have assets. <laughs> I forget how what I've put down on my house, my car, my million dollar warehouse. And, you know, I did get stretched thin at a time and it was a long term investment. And sometimes I look at my numbers and I'm just like, oh God. And I like, there's no way in hell I'd tell anyone except my financial team. And I think it's really important that I share that because on the outside, people think, oh, you have a nice car. You live on three acres. You're so rich, rich. And it's like, my money's tied up in a lot of things. And I'm I'm praying to God it's going <laughs> to turn around and stack itself up. So I think assets are a, a good reminder to those who are feeling a little stretched thin that those things do have value. And the area I'm living in is growing and that value is also growing. So that's something to remember too, what you got already in your pocket that's not necessarily in the bank, right? Exactly. 100%. You got to look at things holistically. And we're all running our own race. I think it's so easy to fall into comparing yourself to others. Like, oh, that person's so far ahead of me. How am I ever going to catch up? The only race you've got to run is against yourself. And your objective here should be, I'm not as good as I'm going to be tomorrow, but I'm better than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And as long as you focus on that principle, you're going to be fine. Agreed. So tell us, what was your biggest win, if you don't mind sharing? My biggest win was when I committed all of my effort and energy to pursuing my passions in business. So my -hmm. first business I created out of necessity. Um, my father was diagnosed with, with late stage cancer. He lost his ability to earn an income. He had a, a sizable mortgage and uh, a stay at home wife and a school aged daughter at the time. And I decided that my brilliant idea was to go and start an e-commerce business in men's fashion, even though I'd spent almost a, a decade at that point in finance. Uh, and that was going to be my way to save the house and, and pay the mortgage and make sure that my family got through the other side. I wasn't passionate about the business. It was just purely blind mm-hmm. pursuit of money. And we had some wins and we had some big mainstream features and the business was doing okay, but I hated it. I really hated it. And I ended up falling into multi-six figures in bad debt. We saved the house, we got through, but not only did I loathe my business, I was on the verge of bankruptcy. And it was oh at that God. point I go, wow, what the hell am I doing? I've got a choice. And the choice that I had to make was either I was going to throw in the towel and wait the next seven years to clear bankruptcy and then start again. Or I was going to focus on doubling down on what I was really passionate about, which was advising and mentoring around money and wealth and earn my way out of that situation. And that's the decision that I made. I went all in on my wealth coaching business. I was able to scale that to a multi seven figure business. I was able to pay off all of my bad debts. I was able to now create a business that's worth over five million. And I've been able to, to, to create a team of 27 that's allowed me to work basically 20 hours a week and have my business mm-hmm. run, run by my team. And I can only do the jobs that I'm passionate about. All of the jobs that I hate doing, I don't have to do. And I've been able to take myself from the, the depths of despair and defeat through to being able to create financial freedom by 32 just because I found what I was passionate about and I committed myself to it. I followed the principles that I taught my clients for years and I started practicing what I preached. So those those were my biggest wins. Ooh, it's it's hard to give yourself your own advice sometimes. And I couldn't imagine how scary that must have felt to be. <laughs> I mean, just like thinking about bankruptcy is gives me anxiety. And someone once told me that sometimes filing 
as I, I don't know if it's filing your taxes as a loss. I don't know if bankruptcy has anything to do with it can actually save you money that year. Does that ring a bell at all? It definitely can. Yeah. So if you've got had a loss, whether it be in your business or whether that be on an investment, we have the ability to carry forward that loss and use that to offset any future gains in the future. But here's the mm-hmm. thing, right? Like obviously if we've got the loss, then we should use that for our benefit in the future. But we shouldn't be racking up our expenses or showing a loss just to try and save money on tax. And the analogy that I always use, and this was a big game changer because none of us like paying tax, right? Like the, the government doesn't do a good enough job for us to give them any more money. Mm-hmm. So, But the, the way we've got to look at it is that saving money on tax means that you're racking up a dollar of expenses to save 30 cents, but you're still out of pocket 70 cents as opposed to mm-hmm. making a dollar paying 30 cents to the government and then having 70 cents left over. So would you prefer to be out of pocket 70 cents or have 70 cents in your pocket? In my view is always I'd prefer to have the 70 cents and use that to make money, make more money for me. So this is the big game changer that tax is just a consequence of making money and we shouldn't be minimizing our tax uh, without considering the long-term implications of doing that. I feel so vulnerable right now. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's like, that's how my brain works. I'm like, okay, you know, we need to avoid this tax bracket. What can we, what value can we put into our warehouse? Which to an extent, like when you buy property and you open a, a real estate company, sometimes it's good to put money that builds the property value. But there are times where I might blur the line and be like, oh, we need a new couch or we need a new neon sign. <laughs> Hey sluts, just a sweet reminder, if you'd like to support the show and wear your slutpreneur badge proudly, check out all of our merch at professionalgoddess.com. Are you tired of TikTok being a complete cocksucker? Check out our new shirt that says, my existence violates the community guidelines. Or make a statement in the money makes me come crop top. Or maybe you want to spoil a loved one. Grab the big dick energy dad cap and use code slut for 10% off. And now back to the show, my darlings. So what other common beginner mistakes do come up a lot besides like having, you know, racking up credit cards? Yeah, I think that's a big one, right? And I think the biggest challenge is most people want to buy property, right? We love, most people love property and because they understand it, it's a tangible asset. And the aim of the game, as I mentioned before, is to buy as much good quality property as we possibly can. But the common mistake that people make is they don't understand that property and finance are the same thing. So you need to understand finance and lending if you want to be able to understand property. And what big people's biggest frustration often is, is that they say, hey, I want to buy a property. I've maybe saved up a deposit and I go to the bank mm-hmm. and they say, oh, sorry, computer says no, better luck next time. Oh, shit, there mm-hmm. goes that idea. And they've got this gatekeeper being the bank that isn't going to lend them the money. Now, the problem is not that they're not going to lend you the money. It's just that you don't understand what your finances need to look like for them to give you the money. And that's typically because you haven't presented your financials in a way that the banks see you as a low-risk candidate for them to give you their money. And that's typically because you racked up too many expenses. So what you now need to do is you need to go to your bank or go to a mortgage broker or a loan officer. And I prefer you go to a mortgage broker because they can at least help you shop around as opposed to going to one bank who's only going to judge it on their rules and say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Mortgage Broker, I want to go buy this property in LA or in Texas or wherever and it's going to cost me $500,000, what do my financials need to look like and how much deposit or equity do I need to make this happen? 
And what they're going to tell you is the rules. They're going to say, hey, Anna, this is what your financials need to look like. This is how much equity you need. This is what needs to change for you to be able to achieve that goal. Aha, I now have a forward-facing plan that's going to allow me to get that computer to say yes. I love that. It's like you're either with me or in my way. Like I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to find a workaround. That's really eye-opening. Thank you for sharing that. What's a bit of advice you'd like to leave with sex workers or, you know, sex workers who are just getting started with finances? Like, is there just something simple that they could take away, you know, feeling like their business isn't as legit as society tells them to? And just tit of advice to say, hey, if you're about to make a lot of money, keep these simple things in mind for, you know, as being a starter. Definitely. There's really three things. The first thing is you need a game plan. You need to work out what does your money need to do for you to create and achieve your goals. So this is about mapping out your goals, dreams, and aspirations, both lifestyle and financial, ideally 20 years into the future. And I'll share with you guys some resources that'll help you do that. The second thing is you need to get educated and understand the basic fundamental strategies and tactics that will allow you to make money work for you as opposed to you working for money. Um, I talk about them in my book. And it'll basically just teach you the basics that you need to know that'll get you started. And the third thing, you need to take imperfect action because most of us are chasing the perfect solution to achieve all of our goals and it doesn't exist. Perfection is the enemy of done. So this is about taking action, starting small, and then just committing to yourself to increase that action over time. And as you build that money muscle memory, Mm -hmm. this is going to come so naturally that you'll look back on this podcast, you'll look back on you starting your journey, and you're going to say, wow, this is a whole lot easier than what I thought it was going to be. And it's because you took action. I love that. I even encourage girls with their pricing or their menu to add a little bit extra to cover taxes. So when you make that you know, $100 sale, make sure it's 110 and pocket that 10 away. Just just little things like that because a lot of us will start webcamming and then tax season comes around and they send you this form in the mail that says, you know, however much you made. And you're like, oh my God, is that how much I really made? And at least that's what happened to me. And I didn't realize, I mean, I was 18 at the time, but it's it's overwhelming because you probably don't have that money saved up to, to pay back. So I think that's an excellent game plan to definitely think about it before you get started, that it's just like any other job, which we always talk about. Exactly. <laughs> but in Australia, it's a lot more welcomed, which I'm now I'm thinking about just hopping up over to Australia. <laughs> it's great here. The accents are great. Everything here is great. <laughs> yeah. And there's kangaroos. So <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> what is next for Jackson Milan? And basically besides saving us all from financial stress. Yeah, the big thing for me and my purpose in life is about teaching more people to use money as a vehicle to create financial freedom. And a big thing for me is creating generational wealth. And I believe that if our generation can get money right, we can become wealthy, Mm -hmm. we can create financial freedom, we can create opportunities for future generations to actually pursue passions and interests that are going to make a meaningful change in the world Um, because there's some big issues in our world at the moment that are potentially going to impact future generations to come. And if we can create enough wealth that provide those future generations the ability to go and fix those issues, then this beautiful planet that we're on can be around for a whole lot longer um, than the trajectory that we're on. So it's our duty to make sure that we can create financial freedom so future generations can really fix those future problems. And that's something that I'm really passionate about solving. I Yeah, that's the peak of passion, really, because if, if we 
can't do all this. What's the point if the world's going to end anyways? Exactly. <laughs> so let's try to say, you know, lead it to saving the planet. That's the utmost thing we can do. So where can we find you on the interwebs and how can we get more education to learn more about everything we talked about today? So first thing, um, add me as a friend on Facebook. I post uh, Facebook and Instagram stories every day that covers a money strategy that'll help add tools to your kit bag. Don't be a stranger. Feel free to reach out. I'm here to support wherever you are on your journey. Next thing, if you want access to my books, uh, resources, tools, calculators, it'll help you work out what you need to be doing with your finances, how to make sure you're putting enough away for tax, all of those nice things. We've got a free Facebook group and we'll include a a link in the show notes uh, that'll get you access to all of those. And I've also got a 40-point performance scorecard. So basically, I've worked out the top 40 things that get in the way of you being able to create financial freedom. Average score is about 18 out of 40, which is a little bit scary. But uh, the key part is not what your score is. It's about what are the things that you answer no today that you can turn into a yes using the tools that I've given you in this podcast and all of the other tools that we can share. And the aim is how do we increase that score over time? So once again, we'll include a bit of a link. It'll take you about five minutes and it'll give you clarity around what you need to do next to get on the right track for financial freedom. Well, thank you so much for opening my eyes on a lot of of things. I definitely can't wait to take a dive into some of that stuff and, and extend the knowledge. And I really appreciate you working with the time difference and taking a break from your lovely Australian adventure, you know, whatever you might be doing. We really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. I've had a lot of fun and uh, glad I could support. It's the end of the show. So time to plug myself and pay some bills. So lube up. If you want to keep the show going and learn more about myself and my empire, you can check more out at professionalgoddess.com. My YouTube, mentorships, ebook series, and everything else is linked in the description of this episode, as always. And remember, every time you leave a five-star review, a slutchpreneur has an orgasm. So keep the big O's coming. Connect with your fellow girl gang in the Sletchpreneur Squad Facebook group at cehose.com. That's cehose.com. You can also just search Professional Goddesses in the Facebook search bar and it should come right up. Plus, we have a Discord chat, which is our triple X chat to help our fellow sluts out. You can get this link through the Facebook group or just shoot me an email. We'll get you in there. And lastly, if you want to get all up inside me, follow my free OnlyFans at Rebecca Blue with two Ks and my explicit page at Rebecca Rabbit. Now, all you have to do is put in OnlyFans.com backslash my username. I also offer shout outs, which can be purchased at RebeccaBlue.com or just private message me on OnlyFans. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as always, refuse to be anything but successful. Go make that money, honey. I'll see you queens next Wednesday. Bye.